today is a unique day. Uh, well, kind of unique. Uh, the Super Bowl is today. Every year at this time, uh, we have the Super Bowl. What, what is unique is that it's COVID season, so it looks really different. But in another way, it's not unique because Tom Brady's there again. He's always there. Uh, you know, the greatest of all time will be there. I think the guy who's going to take his place as the greatest of all time or following his footsteps is going to be there. You got Patrick Mahomes, like been in the league for three years and two of those years he's been in the Super Bowl, second year. That's pretty amazing, all right? Uh, but one of the things that's unique about the Super Bowl each year, and it's only gotten more, is all the different uh, camera angles. You've seen this in, in normal football, but at the Super Bowl, it's like heightened. I mean, there are cameras everywhere in the stadium. If there is a blown call or there is a call that we dispute, we're going to see it from literally probably 100 different angles. It, it doesn't matter. One of, the, one of the things that I love is the new the, the pylon cam, you know, at the goal line. You got the little camera, and all of a sudden, these dudes are running at you, and it, everything blows up in the screen. I mean, it's pretty awesome uh, to be able to see that. The other aspect, though, that I really, really like happens this afternoon. You start being at, besides the food and all that kind of stuff, it, it's the personal interest stories that you see at the Super Bowl. Uh, they start interviewing different people. They've got these stories they've created so that you get to know somebody differently. Uh, now, all the Tennessee fans in here, you saw where Peyton Manning was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So this afternoon, you're going to see all kinds of different stories about Peyton, and they're going to, his life from all different angles, so that you, for a lot of folks, they have one, one, one view, one perspective. He's a football player, but he's so much more, and these stories are going to let you see that from different angles. Well, we're jumping in today into Revelation chapter 6, and over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the judgments. Last week, you remember about how uh, in the throne room, Revelation 5, you saw the scroll and one who was going to be able to take the scroll, Jesus, he was able to take the scroll and begin to open the scroll. So we're going to start seeing that happening. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these judgments. And the way that we're working our way through this is symbolically. We're going to be looking at how these work in Scripture from a, from a symbolism type of way. Let me, let me kind of go with you for just a few moments. I'm going to ask you to go with me. Back up with me to the very first week of this, of this series. We talked about there are four different ways that people interpret the book of Revelation. One of those is from a futurist standpoint. They look at all of Revelation as it's about to happen. It's going to happen in the, like, the last seven years of human history. Everything rolls out in those last seven years. Uh, some people look at it, they, they were called preterists. They believe that all of Revelation, except for the second coming, was fulfilled around A.D. 70 when Jerusalem fell. Others look at it from a historical standpoint. They believe that each of these events that we're going to see, uh, there are very specific times in history. There's also the, 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 the school of thought called idealism, which what we're going to look at is from a symbolic standpoint, and that each of these judgments, each of these things that we're going to see, whether it is the seven bowl judgments, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, that they're all showing some of the same ju judgments from different perspectives and different angles, and it gives us, and we, you, as you read it, you begin to go, 
uh, hey, these intensify. You're seeing some of the same things happen throughout history, but all the way through, they're intensifying until the Son of God returns. So we're going, that's going to be the way that we begin to look at these. Now, in my study, you know, there are four different ways. I just talked about people interpret this. And here's what we can know and we can all agree on. So in this very room, there, there are going to be some of you who look at these things very differently. But what we can all know for certain is this, is that there was a man named John, the Apostle John, who wrote this, who he was called up to heaven, had a vision, and he saw in the throne room. And the scripture says that God gave the vision to an angel, and the angel then gave it to John, and that John then turned and gave it to us. And the reason that it was written was so that the church of that day and the church of this day, we would have hope in what it is that we're facing. And so we can agree on those types of things. We may go, yeah, listen, all of these things here, we know they're happening or they are going to happen, but we, we may disagree on how it all rolls out, but here's what we know is that we trust this word and we know that in the face of what we're going through today in the very world that we're in, we can have hope in Christ. Revelation 5, what you saw was the throne room. Well, let me go back. Four, he saw into the throne room and saw the worship of God. Revelation 5, it focused on uh, the scroll, the one who was holding the scroll. And remember John, he wept. We, last week we talked about how John wept because uh, who was worthy to open the scroll and no, no one could be found. And John began to weep because he realized that if there's no one who can open the scroll, no one who can uh, execute the judgments, no, to open the seals, if no one is able to do that, uh, death, destruction is going to continue to happen. There'll be no justice for believers. The inheritance of the Lord won't be executed out for those of us. And life would just be, it would be miserable. It would be just a continual spiral. And yet one of the elders, this, the scripture tells us, he called out to John. He said, weep no more because there is one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy. And the scripture tells us, in chapter 5, that, he, that Jesus went and took that scroll from the hand of God, the right hand of God. And it is that point that he begins to execute the judgment of God. And that's what we're going to begin to look at here in Revelation chapter 6. Chapter 6, beginning, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. We're only going to be going through the first four seals today. We're only going to go through the first four seals. Now, uh, in those seals, we're going to see a couple of things. One, uh, my hope is that as we study, as we see, we're going to come down and these judgments are going to cause us to have to examine ourselves. We're going to have to examine ourselves. Like, do, or where do we fit in this? And then it's going to cause us to have to really think through of what's our part in evangelizing our world? Are we actively, do we care about evangelizing our world at all? Those are, that's kind of our roadmap as we go. Now, in 1920, in the 1920s, uh, at the University of Notre Dame, uh, there was a famous coach. His name was Newt Rockney. Newt Rockney had four uh, running backs. They were called the Four Horsemen of Notre Dame. And they were called, as you were going to see, they were called the same thing that is in Revelation 6. You had death, destruction, famine, uh, and pestilence. And they, those four horsemen, because they wreaked havoc all throughout college football, uh, they, were, they were idolized. Well, here's what I want you to know. Those four horsemen were like the mousketeers compared to what we're going to see in Scripture and what will happen, all right? 
Uh, now with that, let's start reading in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Today, we're going to move through this passage, and we're going to look at it, and then we're going to land quickly so that we can evaluate where do we stand in this. Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 and 2. John's writing, he says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Now, you're going to remember, if you don't, if you got a pen, piece of paper, or something you're thumbing in, notes in your phone or something, uh, the Old Testament is vital to reading the book of Revelation. So as you're reading the book of Revelation, when there is something that's pointed out, you want to go back and find out what it's saying. So in Revelation chapter 6, it, it is reminiscent of what you see in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 6, when there are four horses that are called out to go and roam the earth. They were bringing judgment against those, those nations who would rebel, against, who had been rebelling against God and against, Judah's, and against Judah's enemies. They were bringing judgment to Judah's enemies. Now, do you, I don't know if you remember, we talked about how uh, in the book of Revelation, in fact, all of the, all of the groups and, and the different ways you study believe that the numbers are symbolic, all right? So when you see numbers, there's symbolism that is there. And do you remember last week we talked about the number four? Number four is symbolic of creation, of nature, of earth. And so what we see here are four horses. And these horses are bringing judgment against the nations and against the earth itself. The very first horse that we read about there, the one in verses one and two, talked about it being a white horse. Now, Many people, many people, when they read this, they begin to think that this white horse and the rider that's on it, this is symbolic of Jesus. Uh, I don't think that this is symbolic of Jesus. And let me tell you why, because you let scripture interpret scripture. Revelation chapter 19 talks about Jesus himself coming on a white horse. That's one of the reasons they think, well, this must be Jesus that's coming. Well, first and foremost, uh, nobody commands Jesus, all right? And who was it that gave the command here? It was the living, one of the living creatures said, come. Well, nobody commands Jesus, all right? So I don't, I don't think that points towards Jesus. Revelation 19 says that when Jesus comes, he's going to come carrying a double-edged sword. What is this rider carrying? This rider's carrying a bow, not a double-edged sword. The scripture in Revelation 19 says that when Jesus comes, he's going to be, he, he's, he's come with many crowns, with a diadem, like the crown of a king, all right? But it says he has many. When this one here in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 2, it says that its rider had a bow and a crown. That word there, crown in Greek in the original language, is the word Stephanos. It, and it means it is a crown, but it is a laurel, like a wreath crown that would have been given to the victor of someone who had run a race, who had run who, in the Olympiad, all right? And so what I believe that you have here, what I think that you have here is you've got a pretender, like a messianic pretender, uh, someone who is coming forth 
one that is coming out to bring war because a white horse in the scripture means war. A bow and arrow means violence. It means war. So you have one here, I think the scripture is helping us to see symbolically, is that there's going to be one summoned from the throne who's going to bring war and he's going to bring war among the nations, much like maybe you would have seen throughout our history of time, maybe Genghis Khan, maybe Napoleon, maybe Hitler, one who set himself up to say he would be the one who would rule the world, who would be the king of the earth, who would be the one to, br- and, and he brought violence against nation against nation. I think that's something that you could see here. Look at the, keep going with me here. Let's read verses three and four now. Verse three and four says this, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Verse four says, and out came another horse bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace. Now, notice that it was permitted. Do you notice that back over in, in the other scripture, it says uh, in the uh, verses above, verse two, it said, and a crown was given. That's passive. Something was given. This rider, it says, was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Listen, the second rider is bright red. And I, and, and, and I believe, I think, as you study this, this is symbolic of bloodshed. It's symbolic of bloodshed. And this rider is given the ability. Notice that each of these coming from the throne, the living creatures are calling for them to come. And when they come, they're given the ability to do something. They don't, they don't have that ability on their own. So from the throne, they are given the ability. And it says he's given the ability to take peace from the earth. And people will kill. They will slay one another. So your first rider who comes, the white horse, who comes making war, nation against nation. The second rider riding a bright red horse comes making, making uh, violence between man and man, between people. Literally thousands of people die every year. Is that right? I mean, they die every year from murder, from domestic violence, from gang violence, uh, uh, and listen, isn't it ironic that as violence continues to increase, we're looking for all kinds of ways to solve it, but we never look at the heart of man and know that it is evil. It, the heart of man is evil. Listen, it, when the heart of man rebels against God, when the heart of man rebels against God, when there is no moral absolute, we begin to take matters into our own hands and so often. Now, I want you to hear, all the implements of war that we use today, all the implements of violence that we use today, whether it's guns, and listen, I want you to hear me. This isn't a political thing. I want to make sure you hear me. We can pull all the guns away that we want, but that doesn't change the heart of man. When the guns are are pulled away, you can look in, 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 uh, in Europe where heavy, heavy gun control, you know what they use now for mass violence? Knives. We see that in the UK. Listen, when those are pulled away, do you know what people will use? They'll use their fists. They'll fight. You see, the very first, the very first seal that's broken up is violence between, or broken up, is violence between nations. The second seal is violence between man. And I want you to hear this. There is nothing that can change the heart of man except Jesus himself. He is it. He is the only thing. Notice the third seal real quickly. The third seal says this, chapter uh, 6, verses 5 and 6. 
It says, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the, the living creature, notice the living creature's giving the command. The living creature says, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures. Notice what he was saying. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Now the third rider, the third rider who's coming is a black horse and this black horse is bringing famine, all right? How do we know that? Well, you can begin to see by the context there. In the ancient world, the scales, the symbol of scales, was used either for justice or it was used for famine, for like weighing out the foods. And we know that this is famine because it tells us here that it's going to get so bad that people of the day will not be able or will, will barely be able to provide for the necessities of life. In the day in which this was written, uh, economists will tell you, ancient historians, that uh, that wheat and barley, wheat was the higher of the two, okay? That more, had more sustenance or more uh, health benefits for, the, for you. That wheat would have been around an eighth of a denarius. Now, a denarius, a denarius was one day's wage. And the typical uh, amount for a quart of wheat, three quarts of barley was an eighth of a denarius. Do you see what it says here, though? It says in that day that a quart of wheat or three quarts of barley is going to cost one denarius. One denarius was one day of a worker's salary. What is being said here is this, is that there is going to be a famine that comes, and, the, and inflation is going to be so high that men can't buy food and provide for themselves anymore. It's going to be very, very difficult for that to happen. This is the judgment that begins to come, the scripture tells us, when that, when that black horse is released. Now, I want you to see something here. Look at the end of verse 6 there. The end of verse 6 says, but do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, oil and wine is, is a symbol, a sign, a symbol for uh, only people that could get oil and wine are those who had money, who had wealth, who had riches, who could continue to purchase those things. Now, who do famines mostly hurt? People who don't have the money to be able to provide. In that day, uh, the scripture says that, that the economy is going to be bad. Famine is going to be happening. And only the people who have money are going to be able to get the things that are the most, uh, some of the most valued, the oil, the wine, symbolic of olives and the vineyards. These people would have known what it is that he's talking about here. You see, listen, and who is it that would be the most affected? Those followers of Jesus who would not bow the knee. So in that day, what's happening here is John is saying, listen, things are bad right now. They're bad. There's war, there's violence, there's even famine in the land. But he's even pointing forward. This is a point forward to us. Things are going to get bad. This is, there's a judgment that will come, he is telling us here. But I want you to hear this. God is gracious. He doesn't make it completely where there's no food. He just says, listen, the economy's tough, You're gonna, but I'm going to supply for you. 
Notice with me, if you will, verses seven and eight. We're gonna keep going. I told you we're gonna move through here because there's a couple of things I want us to look at the very end. Verses seven and eight say this. When he opened the fourth seal, the first seal, the white horse, the second seal, the bright red horse, the third seal, the black horse. Here, notice what he says here. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. Hades is the place of the dead. So you have the rider's name is death and the place of the dead is following him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beast of the earth. Now the fourth rider rides a pale horse. Now, if you're taking a couple of notes, you can write this down. The, the word pale here means green. It means green. So it is the sign of death, of death. And he says, listen, this, this, this horse, the rider's name is death, and Hades is following along. Do you remember in, Ro in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said that he has the keys to what? He had the keys to death and to Hades, uh, saying very clearly, I'm the one that is in control here. I'm the one who has overcome. I'm the one who has, who has swallowed up death and hell and Hades. Yet notice here, coming from the throne, he's now using all of these things as a means of judgment to those who do not follow him. Those who have rebelled against him, those who have come against his, his chosen few, his elect, he's now using death and hell to execute the judgment, excuse me, death and Hades uh, uh, for uh, judgment. Now, this writer has authority to inflict death. He's been given it, but he's only been given it because of the power of the one who has overcome it. He does not have the ability to bring that himself. It's brought because God has unleashed it, and he is bringing it against those that he is judging. This is a picture. These, these uh, look at the end of verse 8. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, uh, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts. These are the, this, this list right here comes from Ezekiel chapter 14. This list comes from Ezekiel chapter 14. Uh, this is reminiscent. This is, uh, this is, these are the judgments that God sent against the idolatrous, idolatrous uh, Israelites, the one who did not bow to his name. So he, what he's pointing out here in this, so folks, hang with me. What he's pointing out here is this, is that those who have rebelled against me, those who do not follow me, those who have not, who have not, uh, who are standing against me, those nations, those people, Judgment is about to be unleashed. Nation against nation, person against person, violence will increase. Famine in the land. Notice the number four and that fourth horse. It's kind of like a summary of all of the, the other three. And he adds with it in there that there's going to be wild beasts that roam the land. In the Old Testament, in fact, in Ezekiel 14, when it talks about wild beasts roaming, that's like a sign and a symbol that there's like chaos. I mean, like there's nothing happening. There's no order to society. Folks, can, this is what the scripture says. And this is coming from the first four seals to be broken. Now, remember, in Revelation, numbers are very much symbolic. 
Some people think this, when it talks about a fourth of the land, they think that, that there's going to be like some mass casualty that happens and 25% of all the world, all the population will be gone. Uh, we would read that symbolically to refer to a large number of people, a large number of people who are going to be affected, who are going to die, who are going to be affected by the judgment of God because of the breaking of these seals, the devastation of war, the devastation of famine, the devastation of pestilence, of disease, of plague. I think that this could mean even this is what's happened from from the ascension when that scroll was given, when the, the scroll has being, the seals are being opened, this is what we've seen throughout the history, through history. I want you to think back with me for a minute. You, you know this from your world history classes. Uh, listen, to, listen to what's happened. In the 1200s, 40 million people were killed by Genghis Khan. In the 1200s, 40 million people by Genghis Khan. In the 1300s, bubonic plague the Black Death. In Europe and Asia, it's estimated that 200 million people alone died in that day. That's, that's in the 1300s. Now, listen to this. In, the 15, in, in 1520, the Spanish smallpox invaded Mexico, but with Spanish uh, colonizers. Listen to this. Eight million people died in eight months. A million people a month. 1918, Spanish flu, uh, when Spanish flu hit, 50 million people worldwide. I want you to think about the 20th century alone for just a moment. Think about this. Hitler killed 6 million Jews. Mao Zedong killed 70 million Cambodians. Pol Pot, uh, 2 million. Joseph, Joseph Stalin, 20 million Soviets. More than 41 million died in World War I, 60 million died in World War II, 1.5 million died in, uh, throughout Vietnam, the Vietnam conflict. Folks, listen, here's what I know. Any way we look at this, it, it, symbolically, listen, the days are getting worse. Things are intensifying. Any way you want to interpret this, whether it's a futurist, you're a preterist, you're a, a historical, you're Here's what we know. An idealist, symbolically, here's what we know. We are living in the last days and things are intensifying. Things are getting worse and worse. And there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when we see Jesus face to face. Those of us who have surrendered our lives to him, those of us who have bowed our knee, and we're seeing these things happen. It reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul wrote, and he said, listen, the wrath of God is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed against our sin. Now, I want you to hear this. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are no longer, you are no longer under his wrath. But I do want you to know that when he reveals his wrath on the world, it does affect those of us who still live here. Think about in, in Exodus, if you will. You remember in Exodus when all of the plagues began to come? And we'll talk more about this later. But when all the plagues became to, uh, be, began to come in, uh, in Egypt, but there was in a land of Goshen, all those plagues happened in Egypt, but his people were safe. Listen, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear. 
These judgments are real. They're coming. In fact, I think they're even here today in some ways. So with that, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, first, I think this is one of the things we have to do. We have to examine ourselves. You know what these, you know what these judgments do? They're enacted against those who have rebelled against God, but they're also called for us to purify us. The scripture says that who will be saved? Those who persevere to the end. Those who persevere to the end. My question for you is this. Are you a follower of Christ? Some of you in here right now, even some of you who are online right now, you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may have never surrendered your life to him. And I want you to know, that's what awaits us. Those of you who have never surrendered your life to Christ, there's going to be a day when you die and you stand before God and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Those of us who have surrendered our life to Christ, listen, do you realize that we may see these things happening, but the scripture says that he protects us. My question for you today, my question for you today is, do you take seriously what it means to be a follower of Christ? Are you looking at these things and going, God, I I, I want to follow you with my whole heart. God, is there anything in me that you would find dishonoring, distasteful, that is against who you are? Because God, I don't want that. God, I want to be yours. I want to be serious about following after you. Folks, I think the days of lukewarm Christianity, cotton candy, cultural stuff, those days are done. They're done. Do you remember what he said in Revelation 3? He said, I want you hot or I want you cold. If you're lukewarm, he says, I'm going to spew you. I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to throw you out of my mouth. Folks, listen, in the day in which we're living, with the things that are happening in our world today, this is a call to us as a church to be serious about who it is that we say we follow. So if you don't follow Christ today, listen, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ today, if you're in this room, I'm going to ask you to come out and speak to me. I'd love to be able, I'll I'll have my mask on. We can talk, or you may go, uh, maybe you're online or you're not comfortable enough like that. Listen, you can text in the word Jesus to 615-551-9800, I think it is. Thank you, Brett. You're looking, it must be on the screen. Thank you very much. You know it. Thank you. Uh, Text that in. I want to talk with you. I want to talk with you. Listen, maybe in this room today as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, if you're sitting in here, Here's the next thing this causes us to do. Not just examine ourselves, but it causes us to make us wonder, make us have to think. Are we about evangelizing our world? Does that matter to us? You know, a lot of times we talk about making sure that we're generous with our finances so that we can spread the gospel around the world. And I think many times we think, okay, if I write a check or if I give some money to somebody who's gonna go be a missionary, that's absolved me from my role. Listen, I want you to hear this. Uh, there are no sideline players in this. I mean, you're not on the bench. If you're a follower of Christ, we, we're in the game. We're, we're in. And that, uh, that may mean that you're not going overseas. That may mean that you're not going to go live in another, another country or another state on the other side of the United States. But it does mean that your neighbor 
It does mean that your children, it does mean that your grandma, your granddad, your aunt, your your coworkers, do you care that if they don't know Jesus, these things are what await them? Do you remember about a year ago, I guess it was, some of you who've been here for a while, we had a we had a, uh, an emphasis called Who's Your One, where we had little stickers and we wrote down on, their, on, on those stickers, those little one stickers, the name of someone that we're praying for that does not know Jesus as Savior. And we said, hey, I'm going to keep praying for this person, that they would come to know Jesus. They're my one. They're the one I'm praying for. My question for you today is, is are you still praying for them? We're not just asking you to pray. We're, you know what the specific prayer was is that we would pray for them and God would move on us and that we would share, that we would tell them about Jesus. Listen, do you know what today is about when we open, when those seals are open? It's about causing us to examine ourselves. And God, am I, am I in the faith? Do I know Jesus? Have I surrendered my life to Jesus? Yeah, I haven't. We want to walk with you. I have. Okay, are you... Are you sharing? Are you evangelizing? Are you sharing the love of Christ with those that are around you? Father, I love you and I thank you. I thank you, God, that you love us. I thank you, God, that you have saved us. Those of us who have bowed our knee to you, you have changed us. And God, I pray right now that as we're reading what we're reading, Father, that you, you, you would purify us, God, that you would make us desire you more. God, that in the midst of where we are today, in the midst of where we are, God, what seems hopeless, God, even in the midst of reading these passages here, Father, that, that we've read today, which seems like, uh, oh, Father, what are you doing? What, what's going to happen? I, I'm thankful that we can have hope in your son, Jesus, because he's conquered. I'm thankful that uh, Jesus controls this. I'm thankful that because I've surrendered my life to Jesus, because those of us in here who have surrendered our life to Jesus, we can trust you in the midst of these days. I'm thankful that I'm no longer receiving your wrath. You've saved me, you've changed me. And now I ask that you do the same. In this room, online, that you save people today. I'm going to ask that you keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. And the way that I want us to close today is I, I want us to exa- ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to examine us and speak to us. Is there anything, anything in me, anything in us that isn't pleasing to the Father, that doesn't represent, as a follower of Christ, this doesn't represent Jesus? That you would purify us today, that we would turn from our sin and turn back to Jesus. I also want you to take a moment, take some time, and that you're praying and you're asking the Holy Spirit, save the one I've been praying for. Give me courage to go and share. Maybe maybe the Lord's revealed someone to you right now. I'm going to ask that you pray. God, make room today. Help me carve room today. Put them in my path today so that I can talk about you and how you've changed my life. 
we're going to sit here. We're going to pray. We're going to sit in silence for a few moments. Zion's going to begin to sing over us. And at the moment that he feels led, he's going to call us to stand to the sing with him. Our response today is to go before the Father, receive the word, go before the Father, and obey what he calls us to do today. Jesus, we magnify you. And it's in your name we ask these things today. Amen.